Hi there, Michelle here. Welcome to the Rose Amongst It podcast. And this episode is number two, which is a part two of a three-part series of a recorded chat that I had with three men, first-time dads, moving through the free birth experience. So episode one, which was part one of this series, had these three men, Cameron, Jordan and Zach, sharing their free birth stories and experiences. In this episode, the guys are going to share what they did in order to prepare to step into the birth space and to support their partners. We chat all things from childhood traumas that they moved through to building a tiny home from scratch, um, all the preparation that they did and sometimes without even realising that they were doing it. We also talk about any fears that came up as well. So this is part two of a pre-recorded chat. Part three will be episode three where we talk about postpartum and their experience journeying through that. I will let you know with this recording, uh, this entire chat was actually recorded inside a closed container which I facilitated and it was a Zoom call. And on this call, um, people who were on the call were welcomed to open up their mics and ask questions. So you will hear during this call, a couple of questions come through. So I just wanted to preempt that so that you're not sitting there wondering, who's that asking that question? So that's the layout of this call. And you'll also know notice that we jump straight into the call. So there's no introductions this time. If you haven't listened to episode one, I really highly recommend um, having a listen and hearing the guys share their free birth stories. But for now, here is part two of the three-part series, First Time Dads Sharing Their Free Birth Experiences. So preparation, what did that look like for you? Let's start with you, Jordan. Yeah, where do I start? Well, we, well we've got to start with, I guess, our, our traumas. We've got to start with our conditioning. We're going to start with, I guess, look, the subconscious mind and the way that dictates the way we respond, react, reject. If that stuff's really leaky, well, you know, that's going to carry over and in, into these spaces. So especially when the emotions may be obviously a high, you know, a high or the energy's high or who may have a lot of fear and they get put in a situation where they lack trust in themselves, um, it's going to be, yeah, the space is going to be very, very shaky. So I can speak from a place of I was that boy. <laughs> I'll say boy because, yeah, I wasn't a man. Um, I, was a, I was definitely acting from a, a place of boy, a boy for, for many years, um, especially through my younger adult life. And so it wasn't, I mean, there was a lot of, uh, without going too far into the story, but um yeah, a lot of bad habits and behaviours and, and different things that I had to, and I say bad, I don't want to shame it. There's reasons for those habits. I mean, there was a lot of trauma and different coping mechanisms and, and different things like that. So there's compassion due to that. But more or less, I um, had to unravel a lot of that. And so, um, yeah, the, the, most of the work went, went into like you know, psychotherapy and getting to know my, my <laughs> the way I, I ticked a little bit, yeah. From, from the subconscious aspects myself and my programming through my childhood and um, and uh, the different wounding that I'd had through through childhood and through teenage to my teenage years 
uh, played a role in the way, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, behaved and reacted, responded to situations and projected and perceived and all those things. So I, um, yeah, I spent a lot of work psychotherapy for a bit. And then I went, I went out, went into, uh, men's work. It's probably where I did the best work, especially for this space, um, where I learned to find my balls. <laughs> what did that involve? Do you want to go into yeah. what that? So, is? so, so a lot of it, it started with the, in a lot of inner child work and knowing where the way I was showing up with a lot of the leaky energy was trying to have my needs met, of which I didn't have met through my childhood. What that, what that kind of would look like was, yeah, it's all about me. It's all about me or, or, you know, um, probably like lacking responsibility, lacking like boundaries and integrity. Yeah. Not being a man of my word, like, definitely kind of like uh the poor boundaries would like leak into obviously work overworking mm. being a people pleaser and all those sort of things and so for a, for a, for a woman to have a, a boy or a man showing up in that way uh feels very unsafe and so um if i was to bring that energy and that way of being into birth um it would have been a fucking shit show so so um for, for, for me, it was about unraveling all that and uh, and finding a sense of safety in those uh, deeper wounds, processing that, making more sense of it, but then finding my inner fire, finding my reconnecting to my balls, and uh, which gets compromised through uh, any type of fear or scarcity that happens through certain traumas. Doing a lot of the work there, yeah, that, that involved a lot of um, a lot of embodiment work. Uh, which required me to, which is probably one of the most Im impactful books that I've, I've read is Way of the Superior Man. That's, uh, that's probably like my favourite. Like the Way of book. the Superior Man. Yeah, Way of the Superior Man. So mm -hmm. that one there is like the men's work, book, men's work uh, Bible. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's just everything in it is just bang on and... Um, yeah, I dedicated myself to embodying every bit of that book and then at the same time working through nice guy syndrome traits as well, which is an extension of the um, abandonment wound, the way we respond from the abandonment wound, for, especially as, uh, for boys. Yeah, I was on the journey for a while. Yeah, and then the, men, the men's work actually happened in, like, this is why when I was doing men's work for a while and then divine timing, everyone got pregnant. Mm. the way i see it, it was we were ready I, I was ready to be i was ready to transition into into uh my go through my rite of passage into mm. mother into masculinity and so i um you know for me it was it yeah it, it was just doing that work and then all of a sudden it just it just happens when it was meant to <laughs> so yeah it was beautiful it was, very divine, divinely perfect the way it all flowed. Um, but yeah, I think the pre-work on myself and even Evelyn herself too has done a lot of work. Um, set us up to be in a position to, yeah, I guess break that kind of generational trauma and the uh, the old timelines that we kind of being a bit bit uh, kind of stuck on in some ways, and kind of jumping off that and creating something new. Yeah, that's that's probably yeah. I don't want to go too far into details into my into my story and my trauma and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I otherwise be here all night. But 
but yeah, I, I think um, yeah, the the main thing is I did the work on that, and uh, and yeah, really, I think the key is for, for for men is to become more superior men, and to do that, it requires to be to have fucking strong boundaries, to be feel feel safe in yourself as well, first and foremost, and then have strong boundaries, to be in integrity, to have purpose and direction, and to lead. Mm. And I think, um, you know, obviously in the birth space, it's a little bit different. You got to take a step back a little bit um, and, and allow, allow the flow to happen. Um, but to do that, you need to feel safe and you need to feel like just centered and be able to just um, be receptive to their needs without making it about yourself. Got all these kind of, uh, you know, wounds that, where you're operating from while it, it becomes about you so yeah. yeah and like you said you know I mentioned about the boy the boy in the birth space can't do that mm. you know and it's very evident I see that now very clearly a lot of the time when there's not men in the birth space there's boys in the birth space mm. and, um, yeah yeah um, it can just change the trajectory of everything because then it comes back to them not being able to recognize when like you did remove yourself from the situation and then ground not do it there and make it about themselves so yeah yeah that's right mm -hmm. so um yeah I don't, I don't know if there's much more to speak into about that but i think that covers it uh there is a question that's come through what's the catalyst or inspiration to start men's work before conception what was the catalyst for you to start uh, um I, my, I don't think I was planning on doing men's work initially for like, oh, birth. Like, I don't think that's really, because obviously we're here in this container and we're probably thinking of it that way. I don't think that's what it was like for me. It was, it was more that um, I've got a lot of shit here beneath the surface that I need to deal with in more of an embodied way. Yeah. And to do that is to get to, to do it around other men. And mm. not to, to bring it out around my woman. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, so I do that. That brought fear because being around other men, especially nice guy syndrome traits, mm. is, uh, scary. So, I uh, that was an edge for me that I had to lean into, and uh, and that's where I learned to, yeah, once again find my balls. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Jordan. Yeah, Thank you. Awesome. No worries. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, Zach, tell us how you, what did you do to prepare for the boat? Gosh, um, I mean, after hearing what Jordan did, doesn't sound like it did a lot, really. Um, I feel like I didn't have so much or really any trauma or anything like that that I need to work through. Like, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, to be honest, so it's not there um and yeah like I didn't have particularly great parents but there's nothing I think from my childhood that for me anyways ever comes up as any form of trauma or anything like that I can really only sort of remember once I finished high school onwards that's that's <laughs> the time space I live in um but I think a lot of the work for me was more actually just kind of understanding uh how Denby wanted all this to go and what Denby's journey was that she wanted to go on and I guess understanding that and working to help her fulfill it so part of that was building like her ideal birth space 
So um, I think we, we would have been pregnant already before I started building the tiny house. We started, I started that in August uh, and Sarah was born in January. Um, and of course the timeline was that that would be done and it would be this awesome birth space. Uh, but we weren't quite done at that time, life got in the way and COVID and material shortages and all that other stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we did the best we could with, with the space and it ended up being, I think, more or less what Danby pictured um, it would be. So that was a bit of the work I had to do. Um, obviously that's not so much mental work or, or anything like that, but I really didn't feel like I had a lot of or really any fears come up. Of course, there was the fear of what if Denby dies? What if they both die? But um, yeah, it was a fear that came up, but it wasn't really anything that I thought genuinely had any merit to it. Like it was a, obviously a real risk that existed, but it wasn't something that I felt actually was a genuine fear for me. It, didn't, it kind of the thought came up and that was kind of as far as it came. Mm. Um, yeah, and I guess um, a bit of the other thing was like working through some of the, I guess, fear of almost telling people what we were doing um, mm. because I don't know anyone else that's been down this path, particularly in my immediate group of friends. And for the most part, we're actually kind of the first ones to have birthed amongst our group of friends. So kind of just, yeah, explaining what we were doing and and whatnot and having the confidence behind explaining what we were doing and then getting their blank responses back or their, oh, okay, and then just dealing with it um, instead of letting that kind of discourage us or whatever. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the actual um, work I had to do on myself, um, yeah, I really, I really uh, didn't feel like there was that much to do and I don't want to brag or, or anything about that but yeah I think I just gem generally have a trust for myself and feel you know, relatively intuitive um and and trusting that whatever happens happens and we deal with it at, like as it happens um yeah I feel yeah. like you definitely you know when Denby had mentioned about she envisioned um, her birth space and it meant building a another a second tiny home like you fully stepped into that so you brought the masculine in by doing that creating that safe space for her you know and you did that like you're not a builder you're not a carpenter you just watched YouTube videos and you did it because <laughs> that's what she wanted so that's really stepping into that masculine and serving her which is what we need these men men to be doing so I feel like you um, need to give yourself a little bit more credit. And I watched that build happen each time I visited and more and more was done. And there was a little bit of like, I don't know if it's going to be ready. And I was like, mm. it's going to be ready. And it wasn't finished 100%, but it was perfect for what was needed. And you made that happen for her. So it did, it did feel like a super magical space. In fact, it felt more magical then than it does now when it's actually finished. Because <laughs> we had we had like $2 Kmart, um, like black tablecloths all, all as our wall line all the way around. And then it had like festoon lights across the, the roof with fairy lights everywhere and crystals and plants. And like it was, it felt like a magical crystal castle 
kind of thing. It was really, it was really cool with the the birth pool in the middle. And, and actually now, like exactly where the birth pool was, that's where our bed is now and that's where we sleep. And that's magic. Like that's absolutely magic. It really is. So, yeah, hats off to you for that. So that is the work that you did during serving Denby. So, yeah, hats off to you, Zach. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Cameron, do you want to share with us what you did to prepare for the birth? Yeah, definitely. So I guess, um, yeah, I, I can't even remember how f- sort of far into it started, but I guess like you sort of, when the journey sort of started and the decision was to do the home birth, you sort of, I guess, subconsciously, and I'm sure most people would, and and the, the women as well, you sort of go through a checklist to be like, you know, am I, can I handle this? Can I handle like, me personally like blood crying all that stuff it had it's no real impact on me whereas I know some people really struggle to see blood and things like that um and being in the 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 job that I do I work in pretty high intensity high pressure environments so I wasn't really too concerned about my ability to hold myself together um but then through Michelle actually she put me on to, I'm not, if no one is familiar with him, I would suggest jumping on his socials and following him and becoming familiar with him. His name's Ryan Pope. Um, they obviously used Michelle as their doula as well. And he now does men's work and retreats and things like that. And it was sort of like, uh, hey, I think you and Ryan would really get along. He's doing some really good work. Reach out to him and see if it's something you're interested in. Um, so I I had the introduction call with Ryan and it was just an immediate connection. Like we, it was like we'd known each other for 20 years and we'd been on the phone for five minutes. So literally immediately I walked out and said to Chrissy, I was like, I'm doing this journey because I think, I think for me, like even prior to finding out that we were pregnant, I knew that I had work to do on myself, but I think everyone knows that they have work to do on themselves, but it's very easy to avoid it especially even if you're in a relationship with someone, it's like, well, I have work to do and you have work to do. Let's just sort of get on with it. But I think it was sort of the penny drop to be like, I don't want that to be an excuse for my daughter. Like I want to be better for her. So I sort of went on this journey with Ryan and what it essentially was, was I guess you could say it was a pretty intense regimen of things like, you know, ice baths, breath work, um, structuring, journaling, um, because we identified pretty quickly, like I said, through my upbringing, um, the the tough masculine wasn't a gap for me. That's how I was brought up. Um, I, you know, I never saw my dad cry. You know, like my, that was just the upbringing I had. So we identified pretty quickly that the spiritual side of things was a real gap for me, um, and to be able to hold space for Chrissy, I needed to plug that gap. So that's what Ryan helped me with. So we went on that journey together. Um, like I said, we did a lot of work, breath work, and then it it essentially um, came to a three-day retreat where I think there was 10 of us, um, Ryan, a couple of um, co-facilitators and stuff, and we went off um, up into the Talabudra Valley, no phones all weekend. We did, you know, Native American sweat lodges, um, 4 a.m. dips in rock pools in the middle of winter, um, all sorts of, you know, meditations and things like that to really, obviously not everyone that was there had the same gaps as me, 
but it was for everyone to work through the gaps that they had identified. So um, that was a really big one for me. Even even together, I guess it was like we we knew that we needed to go on a journey, but I didn't feel like it was fair to commit to that journey until I could 100% commit to that journey by you know working on my gaps first. And it's not to say that they're all gone. Like I think everyone will have gaps for the rest of their life that they need to work on. But I felt like I plugged the ones that I needed to to be able to turn up um, in that space. And I guess we even together, we sort of had to navigate, um, I guess, some family conditioning and things like that. Um, and I sort of set some boundaries and mended some relationships with my parents. Um, Chrissy did the same with hers to ensure that we weren't channeling that sort of generational stuff into our daughter. Um, so that one was a big one as well because it was something that was spoken about and, and a lot of people talk about it, but they say that it only takes one branch to change a family tree forever. And we both wanted to be that branch that changed the family tree forever. So I think that was sort of what we did to lead us to the day. And now that she's here, I think we both identified that that journey isn't over. We need to keep plugging those holes together as a family. Um, but yeah, a, a big part of it for me was the the becoming the mountain retreat and um, and workshop with, with Ryan. And I still a lot of the stuff that I took away from that, and I took away from my one on one calls with him and things like that. On top of you know, read this book, read that book, listen to this podcast, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, I still use a fair bit of that in my day to day now um sorry women on here whose partners aren't on here that are leading down that path um and you're looking for a bit of direction for them i would highly recommend popes as a as a good starting point um if they're lacking a bit of direction hey cameron joe here um you talked about family conditioning twice can you explain what that looked like for you guys yeah so i think probably um obviously it's probably a lot different from the female's parents compared to the males because I'm not the one giving birth, if that makes sense. Um, but I know Chrissy's family probably um, similar to, I'm sure, a lot of people in this room. Um, free birthing just wasn't a topic that they thought was an option. So there was a lot of like, no, you can't do that. You need a doctor. Like, you have to go to a hospital. What about a midwife? What if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? So there was a lot of that where it got to a point where we had to just shut the boundary down. And a lot of that was just us internally, not to go to them and say, hey, you know, shut your mouth. Don't talk to us about it anymore. It was about letting people around us say whatever they wanted to say, but not letting any of it soak in because we knew that we had our journey set. Um, probably from my side was was interesting. I haven't had a frayed relationship with my parents by any means, but um, I, I just haven't haven't really been that close to my mum. But this was my mum's first grandchild, so I immediately felt that she wanted to, you know, be more involved and stuff like that. So through the process of our pregnancy and the birth, me and my mum have formed a closer bond than my whole life with my mom sort of thing. Um, on the flip side, I'm actually a lot closer with my dad 
but he sort of subconsciously removed himself from the situation to sort of be like, you know, well, this is my son's life now. I need to let him do his thing where I sort of jumped on the phone to him and said, hey, you're not turning up for me like I need you to turn up for me. Like this is your granddaughter. If I ask you to come in and, you know, have dinner with us before the baby gets here, I expect you to come in and have dinner with us. You know what I mean? Things like that, which I think is for anyone confronting your parents is one of the most scary and challenging conversations you'll have in your life. But if you can break that barrier, there's not many other barriers that you can't work through. So that was sort of what we went on where we sort of identified that our relationships with our family, even though they weren't bad by any means, really good relationships, we just thought they weren't the relationships that we needed them to be in that moment. So we we both felt that we needed to work on them to improve them. Thank you, Cameron. I did want to speak, it sort of got brushed over a bit um, before, but I did want to ask all three of you um, if you had any fears that came up, any fears that came up during pregnancy, and if you did, how did you move through those? Jordan, you happy to start? Mm, where would I start? Um, to be honest, I actually felt super grounded through like the whole lead up because of all the pre-work and it was really just about supporting Evelyn from there um, and just and she didn't really have much fear either but she I mean there was probably some things I think some of the biggest one for us and come back to Cam share was actually navigating the parents and so her for parents. her parents not mine because my parents are not existent in the, in the space anyway the way my parents are but mm-hmm. um but more or less with um Evelyn's parents yeah they're, they're like especially her father who's got a massive anxious attachment he kind of subconsciously removed himself from it a bit too because he was just quite scared but her, her mum I think um was probably communicating quite passively with certain things so Evelyn definitely had a lot of boundaries with that so fear I don't know if it was fear though I, I, yeah I don't know how to explain that I guess it was maybe like a barrier that we just had to move through did you have uh, men around you that you could chat with or that you were you know felt comfortable to chat with or was there a lot of um, projecting going on from the men around you no I had uh, one of my good friends Marcus White who had done free birth just like about a year before for like yeah yeah Miller came 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 into the world so um yeah I, I I was inspired by him and we communicated a lot. And Mark's uh, uh, definitely a, a leader. He's a coach himself and yeah, very well-spoken, very divine masculine. He's an awesome, awesome guy. Um, and we had, we'd always have amazing chats about life and everything. So, yeah, we're well-connected. Yeah, that's probably the, the one person I'd be And then I had my men's work. Yeah, I, yeah I, just, I just had so much trust in the, in the, in the whole thing because my awareness around the whole medical system and... That's probably what scared me the most was maybe if things went a bit pear-shaped, we had to go there. That was maybe the only fear. Because once once you're there, it's it's going to be a fucking battle to deal yeah. with those people. So so that was maybe the only fear. Maybe if yeah, something was to go a little bit pear-shaped. But yeah, I think I think when I was in the space of birth, there was a bit of angst. Like I said, I took my remove myself, but I think that angst was just the energy because I'm an empath and I'm very sensitive, so mm-hmm. I have to always just bring myself back in but yeah I don't think that was a whole lot of fear that's Um, awesome that's great thank you yeah thank you Zach 
Anything come up for you? Uh, I mean, I mentioned it before a little bit, but uh, Denby could die. They could both die. What, I mean, that, that kind of I love thing. that this is spoken, though, because I feel like a lot of men feel that and fear that but don't say it and then hold on to it and then try and change the path that their partner's going without actually saying that. Yeah, it definitely was like a fear. But like I said before, I didn't really like the fear came up and then that's kind of that's all that happened. It didn't really like transpire into anything else. Um, and I knew that in the unlikely event that something did go wrong, that like I'm so close with Demi's family that we would be fine. Like yeah. we'd be looked after. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, family as well. Like for me, I guess a little bit of not so much fear, but um, probably something I still need to actually work through is my parents. They just were pretty disconnected, even though I live on their property <laughs> in our tiny house, pretty disconnected from the birth through through the whole thing uh, and the pregnancy. Um, and they've got their own things going on. I'm not going to get into that. Um, and they've got their own work thing to do. Yeah, just just even like engaging with them now for me is something that's kind of difficult. I can't talk to my dad because he was just, he was there, but never there kind of as I was a kid. And I just don't have that relationship with him. And when he does try to engage, it feels really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a bit of a, a fear back then, but sort of maybe still an ongoing fear for me in some regard. And yeah, like I mentioned before, a little bit as well as just dealing with, yeah, like people's opinion of you going down this path that seems so radical and unsafe and, um like like I'm an absolute nut job yeah it's uh but in terms of parents were totally on board weren't they yeah I mean Debbie's parents totally on on board uh from the get-go like Debbie's sisters already had two other two other um kids as home births um with home birth midwives but I think didn't show up for one of them didn't make it in time for the second baby if i'm correct so Demi was fully yeah like fully aware of the whole process and just had the confidence in herself that um she could she had it had, had you heard from Demi stories from the hospital system that and things that she'd witnessed and that sort of thing as well so yeah i mean Demi like Demi never actually practiced as a midwife, even though she studied it. Basically, as soon as she got to the end of her degree, uh, after having gone through practice and stuff, went, absolutely, hell no, that's fucked up. I'm not doing that shit. Um, and, yeah, so never actually practiced, um, which is unfortunate because the, I can't remember her name, but the lady she basically studied under was very much about, like, non, non-interference and, mm. and home birth where you can and whatever um but yeah like in the actual in actual practice doesn't work like that in the system um and just generally Denby being an, a nurse across emergency and just general ward stuff too just all the awful st- stories you hear in a hospital um so that that I guess too is definitely a fear that what if something did happen that we had to go to the hospital um just had faith that that wasn't going to happen <laughs> yeah and if it did, like I said before and trust your intuition just deal with it whenever if it arises that doesn't have to always be something that comes up but it's good to speak about because for some men things do come up and they don't express them and then that's when they get bottled down and they show up and appear in the birth space so thanks for sharing you're welcome um cameron just see here did you have any fears that came up during pregnancy 
Yeah, probably similar to Jordan in regards to the actual birth. Um, and Michelle, you would probably attest to this. Even when we were on standby, I was just so confident in Chrissy and her body and the process that I actually had no fear around anything going wrong. Um, and whether she did or not, she didn't really vocalize it too much. But um, yeah, I think you had a visit with us a couple of days before and you and Chrissy were both like, are you good? I was like, yeah, I'm sweet. Like, I've got, I've got no dramas. Like, I think we'll be fine. And But I think that came from me probably through that work I did fully surrendering to be like, I don't control this. Chrissy's body has got this under control. Um, my, I guess like a fear, I don't know if you call it a fear, but it was a bit of a strange one. And funnily enough, the only person I was spoken to about this was Pope. So there's probably a, a good opportunity to share because I would imagine that it's something that a lot of men don't speak about is that like, it's obviously no secret that every woman's body reacts differently to hormones and things like that. And most guys will be like, Oh, my missus was batshit crazy and all that sort of stuff. Like that's just part of the ride. Right. Whereas some people will be like, well, no, my, my partner was fine the whole way through. Um, there was a, a time for me and I'm not really sure what brought it on, but obviously the hormones were, were playing a part in, in Chrissy's moods and, you know, like the love and energy between us and stuff like that. And I remember saying to Popes in a check-in, I was like, the only thing I'm worried about is that what if we never get back to where we were as a couple? You know what I mean? Like you like to think that, you know, a baby comes in and like as the movies would have it, everything's magical. And it, But there's a, you sort of get confronted with some situations and conversations where you just go, oh, Will will we get back to, you know, the pre-baby love and affection and all that sort of stuff? Um, which I think, like I said, I don't think a lot of guys speak about that, but I think it would actually impact a lot more of them than would like to admit because mm -hmm. you love this person with your whole heart and then they're a different person for a period of time and you go, well, shit, are they ever going to get back to the person they were sort of thing? So um yeah, that was probably um, that was probably the one for me. And like I said, I spoke to Popes about it and we just sort of worked through it, you know, just sort of really basic stuff where he was like, journal it, write it down, write down what you're feeling and why you think you're feeling that way. But don't just write down the bad days, write down the good days as well. Because if you have a bad day or Chrissy has a bad day with her hormones and emotions, it's going to impact you but the next day could be incredible. So make sure you write that one down as well and validate the good with the bad. Um, but yeah, in regards to the actual birth itself, I, like I said, like Jordan, I was, I was rock solid, ready to go. And like, you probably would have seen that, but yeah, that was one that came up for me sort of probably mid to late pregnancy when the hormones really kicked in, I was like, shit, is there a light at the end of this tunnel or what? But um, yeah, that, that was probably the one for me to be like, Oh, wow. Like, and, but similar, like I, I had a couple of other mates that had just had babies as well. Um, not, not free births, but did have babies as well. And that's where I sort of spoke to one of them in particular about as well. And I guess I don't worry, like it, it's all worth it at all, you know, on the other side, right, right, like it, it, it does, things are different, but then it's not like they're a completely different person forever. Or if they are, it's for the better. You know what I mean? It's not like they're going to, move backwards sort of thing but that was yeah that was probably the fear that popped up for me was like shit have i lost 
the woman I love forever and am I going to get this different version on the other side? But obviously it's safe to say now that the the version is better. And I'm not just saying that because okay. she's on the call. <laughs> that there's, that. Definitely, there's definitely not a gun to my head to the left of me right now. So. I was definitely going to ask, has there been a light at the end of the tunnel? So you just answered that. So. Yeah, it's, it's just a whole different type of love when you've got a baby there now you know like it's it's it is different but different in a way that you never would have comprehended beforehand so glad that you spoke to that yeah i have a question for the men um you all have this trust in serving women physiological birth trusting that things will flow what advice would you give to men who have this desire to control in the birth space from that from one man to another man how would you address that need to control what they can't control it's it's probably one of the hardest conversations and one of the conversations in life that men hate to hear the most but it's about getting their ego in check it's 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 simply their ego and trust trust me i'm a catalyst for it. i've got a massive ego i need an ego in my work environment but that was something that I had to break to be able to separate that, to go over here, it's fine. But in this place, your ego will not serve you, um, which is really, really tough for, for men to swallow because they just want to be that guy all the time. What I say goes, I don't think that's right. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm no different to any other man. I'm flawed and I have an ego that needs work, but that was the big one for me. And that's the conversation is to be like, I guess like why why is it that you feel that you need to be in control here? That's your ego talking. I think the thing that was relatable was um when Karen spoke into like with the relationship thing about how like will it ever will it be the same as it was before, the intimacy and the, the love making and the charge in the relationship. And I can really relate to that because that was actually part of the after Mila came into the world, I was actually dealing with that myself. I wasn't pre premeditating it to happen though. I was like in it and I'm like, oh my God, things feel a little bit different. But what, what I was dealing with was that same inner child shit, like needing that fire in my relationship through Evelyn rather than just finding that within myself. So, and actually connecting to, like you said, the, the beauty of the, the way the actual relationship and the family dynamic and the love that was now present and learning to tune into that rather than be like, Oh, like I need this like intimate connection like all the time like I like being like needy <laughs> so it's like yeah so for me it was part of the trend the the rite of passage I think and just yeah seven my woman it was seven my woman but because I actually think that space actually is the beginning of actually serving your woman even more like actually continuing that in that same way from from birth from then on because you know, you got little Mila hanging on to Evelyn all day and she's like, hasn't eaten all day and these sort of things. So, you know, more you can kind of hold that space and support, you know, in the, the more your woman's, you know, here and uh, strong in herself and, and, and healthy and that sort of thing. The, the Absolutely. The Serving the woman. So I think, I think uh, that was a, a big, I, I can really relate to that, Cam. Like, yeah, that was freaking massive for me to, move through but I, I had to go find my fire through surfing and you know through other things you know and 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 uh, that was that was how I 
got through those things. But you know, I think the intimacy has shifted in different ways now. And it's mm. thing. And um, definitely yeah. shifts. Yeah. Yeah, it shifts. That's right. Did you want to share anything to that, Zach? Yeah, I guess uh, just having like full confidence in the fact that the dress, that the bus can drive itself. The bus knows how to drive itself, which is a quote from a TV show that I like. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it stands true that um, that like knowing that there is nothing that I can do in that space that is really actually going to change the outcome. And I'm generally one that likes to do what I can do to try and control the outcome of how something will end up. Yeah, I guess just being fully fully aware that there's literally nothing that I can do other than, I guess, my energy being in that space. Um, mm. I can change the outcome of what happens, but, but in terms of actually being able to control it, yeah, I can't do much. That's probably all I really have to add. And there it is, part two of our three-part series, chatting with Cameron, Jordan and Zach, first-time dads journeying through the free birth experience. What did you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts and am so looking forward to bringing part three to you next week. See you then.